Not all heroes wear capes. Indeed, not all heroes survive. These heroes of nostalgic football folklore rarely did survive. Most at home in the lower echelons of their respective league, hugging the mire and growing accustomed to the perennial six-pointer. Here we celebrate 11 90s and noughties footballers who best represent relegation fodder, known for going down. How apt that they're now going down in football history. Arthur, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. An exceptional intro as normal for you, Ben Warden. We've tackled a relegation battling 11 on this podcast before. Uh, Players who put up an incredible fight and inevitably had a great escape or two to their name. These are players who just just, just, <laughs> just got so frequently relegated or, or just dramatically relegated. <laughs> a, a damp squib of a battle against relegation. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I don't want to drag their names through the mud too much. They gave us a lot of entertainment from a fan's perspective <laughs> as well. Uh, they might not be so fondly remembered by the, the fans of their clubs, but nonetheless, look forward to talking about them. We're deploying a 4-4-2 formation, which does seem itself quite relegationally as well. Uh, excited about this one, Ben? Oh, I am. I think for each and every one of these players, I, I picture them kind of on their haunches on the final day of the season, kind of crying into the turf as forlorn fans look on at them with, with some sort of disgust. I mean, that there is talent in this team, um, but as you'll hear in the next hour, they're very familiar with the drop zone. As always, if you have any shouts of names that we've missed out, people you'd like to add to the fray, perhaps a particular least favourite player of your own size, please do get in touch at 11pod. That's the word and not the number. So who's conceding? Probably a lot of goals in this 11. (laughs) Well, Arthur... um... This story is quite incredible, and it's the story of Colin Doyle. Colin Doyle. I think, wasn't he a Birmingham City goalkeeper? Yeah, yeah, he was. You're right. Um, A six foot five Amazonian keeper with a terrific wingspan. Uh, He actually made four appearances for the Ireland national team in there. Um, Bizarrely, though, there were 11 years between his first game against Ecuador and his final appearance in 2018 against Turkey. Um, And that kind of summed up most of his career, actually. He was a kind of second choice that would step in occasionally when uh, injuries were an issue. Um, He'd probably be known best, like you say, for his time at Birmingham. Uh, He was there for 12 years between 2003 and 2015, uh, a time which included Premier League appearances, watching on as Brum won the League Cup, uh, Europa League football, and a Magic Moment of the Season award in 2007 for a penalty save against Wolverhampton Wanderers. However, what listeners to the eleven will now know him as is a keeper with a seemingly infectious magnetic pull towards relegation. This is remarkable, Arthur. Colin Doyle got his first taste of professional football, uh, professional league football, that is, in 2004-2005 on loan at Notts Forest. Uh, There he played three games as Forest became the first former European Cup winners to suffer relegation to the third tier of their domestic league. That's relegation number one on Doyle's CV. 
The following year, he'd go on loan to Millwall. He'd play 13 games and see the Lions relegated to League One also. That was relegation number two in back-to-back seasons. But that wasn't all. Simultaneously, his parent club, Birmingham, were also relegated. A hat-trick was up in just two years. He helped Birmingham back to the Premier League, yes, but what goes up must come down. And the following year in 2007-2008, they were relegated again. That's four relegations in four years for Colin Doyle. He started playing less and things settled. Only for three years, though, in 2010-2011, Birmingham were relegated again. That's number five for Doyle. Uh, And by 15-16, Birmingham were grateful to Doyle for keeping things so interesting over the last decade, but allowed him to move to Blackpool in League One. Q33 appearances, a stalwart. The result? Relegation number six. <laughs> that was the second of back-to-back relegations for Blackpool and would mark their first time playing in the bottom division of English professional football in 15 years. Surely Doyle couldn't get hearts of Midlothian relegated, Arthur, a central establishment in SPL history. Yes, he could. In 2019-2020, uh, Doyle wrapped up his seventh CV relegation, but it didn't affect the Irishman. He brushed it off to play SPL football the following year with Kilmarnock, where he was relegated for the eighth and final time of his career. Eight relegations for Colin Doyle. And I just feel really sorry for him because he wasn't even that bad. That was eight relegations across a career of how long? That was eight relegations across roughly 15, 16 years of playing. Yeah. Colin Doyle. And does it, I mean, presumably he was he was largely a second choice goalkeeper, wasn't he? That's right. And so what I have to say about this, um, yes, he was relegation fodder, but in truth, he was chronically unlucky. Um, he played an average of 12 games per season throughout his okay. career. And many of those were in the cup. Um, so he was more just a terrible omen than a terrible goalkeeper. Um, yes, eight relegations is astounding, but most of those he saw from the bench. Do you know what the, um, because obviously Scott Carson has become famous for uh, winning the Champions League, the widest gap between victories and obviously playing no part in either of those. As a goalkeeper, you have a special dispensation to pick up silverware if you're the second choice goalkeeper. Is it kind of the same, the same with relegation? You know, like if you, if you play no times and your team is relegated, does that, is that sort of a, a black mark on your, I think it has to be. I think it has to be, Arthur, because in so many ways, if your team's getting relegated and you weren't able to step up into the fold and be be second choice, then you would have thought over the course of a season you'd have an opportunity to play. Um, And Doyle often did. He would play play a few games each season. Um, He had some of his own injury problems, but but generally he was always a backup. He did actually become first choice goalkeeper at Bradford more recently. Um, they didn't get relegated. So um, they might remember him slightly more fondly. I, I know your friend Will is a Bradford fan. He might have an opinion on him. I feel like after relegation number six, um, teams in the Scottish Premier League maybe should have cottoned on to the fact that, that appointing Doyle as your reserve goalie does does have some negative connotations. What a millstone around his neck. Dreadful, dreadful. He's at left back, Arthur. On the left, it is no, not that. Paul Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know the one you're talking about. Um, 
I, I don't yeah like physical overly physical and graying hair they're, they're two Absolutely. things that kind of spring to mind yeah he was he was kind of built different really to uh to england's no, former number one goalkeeper paul robinson yeah one thing i quite like about this 11 is is the idea of um of, of during a relegation scrap the cameras at sky panning the crowd and finding you know the likes of paul robinson in the crowd and <laughs> You know how, like, if if they've won a European Cup or something, you know, there's a man who knows a thing or two about, like, the idea, the idea that fans into Paul Robinson, it's there's a man who knows a thing or two about relegation. It feels so right, doesn't it? It feels right. I can't think of any other context where he he would be knowing a thing or two about it. It's so true. So one thing I would say about Paul Robinson is he was a battler. He uh, battled his way up to the Premier League with two promotions before he was 20. This was a a tough tackling defender, as you refer to, frequently attracting the attentions of the referee. But um, also he was talented around the time he was capped by England under 21s and was touted for the senior team by Brian Robson, amongst others. That first season in the Premier League, 1999-2000, was with Watford. And uh, he racked up 32 appearances and uh, that season ended with his first taste of relegation. In my mind, that's probably what must have sent him West Brom's way. Uh, I mean, West Brom are, in my mind, the archetypal yo-yo club. Never really in the Premier League for too long, but certainly happy to, to gain a promotion from the championship. Matt Phillips, another player who's been frequently relegated both with them and also Blackpool. Sure enough, whilst he did play an important part as a goal scorer for them when it really mattered in the great escape of 2005, something that could have led him to to feature in the uh, relegation avoidance 11 or battlers, (laughs) I think it was. Um, He was relegated with them in 2006 and 2009 from the Premier League. So that's three for Paul. He hadn't had quite enough of the championship by that point. You know, he, he basically decided he wouldn't be joining West Brom in the championship, that second relegation. But he decided, therefore, to join Gary Megson's Bolton. Um, <laughs> he did, he did, uh, I mean, it's not it's not the most sort of... Uh... We've mentioned this before, but there's something about the words Gary Megson's Bolton that already makes you think, oh, God, they're in trouble. Yeah. I mean, incredibly, they actually, um, he racked up a further 77 Premier League appearances over three seasons. Uh, so he, he actually, although Gary Megston seems quite relegation-y in himself, he actually, he, he ended up staying in the Premier League and only getting relegated on the Owen Coyle in oh, 2012. Okay. okay. So um, four relegations for the big man, Watford, West Brom twice and Bolton. Uh, and I posit to you that those are the the, the three most relegation-y sides in the Premier League. Do you, do you do you think that's that's fair to say? Actually, I might add Norwich to the mix. Yeah, I was going to say Norwich, but you're, you're quite right. I think the boing boing baggies always had a reputation, didn't they, for for plenty of relegations? And I don't mm. think that's necessarily you know a bad thing for the club. I think that they're just maybe were were a bit too good for the Championship for a while and not quite good enough for the Premier League. And I think Paul Robertson kind of fits that mold. He was always quite a solid Championship player but never good enough to get a deal with a team that were going to steer well clear of the drop zone. In shaping this relegation fodder 11, as I said in the intro, we're not we're not looking to deride these players. I think a lot of this is bad luck. Uh, they find themselves in a pretty awful team. And actually part of relegation fodder um, could be, and, and we'll go on to discuss a few names in this vein, 
players who actually put in a bloody good shift in a relegation battle, but ultimately they were fodder because the team they found themselves in was just so terrible. Um, So sometimes there's little they can do. They're just, they're just fodder and they have to accept it. Classic fodder, Paul Robinson. Uh, We'll we'll come on a bit later on in this podcast, actually, particularly with our up for grabs position to talk about football books. Uh, I noticed the biography of Paul Robinson Robbo Unsung Hero is available on Amazon for fans of Watford, West Brom and uh, and Birmingham. So, yeah, that sounds like it's well worth the read, Arthur. I'll have to to buy it for you for Christmas, Ben. Thank you. I'd love that. Alongside Paul Robinson, who else but Nyron Nosworthy? Probably my favourite footballer name. (laughs) (laughs) Nyron... Nyron Paul Henry Nosworthy, um, relegation fodder, uh, a five foot eleven battering ram of a defender. Actually, surprisingly small. I thought he was enormous, um, yeah. but just well built. Nyron, um, a former Gillingham Young Player of the Year, Nosworthy was an exciting prospect. He combined strength with consistency at right back or centre back, uh, and he was known for running to training every day as his warm up. Funnily enough, relegation gave Nosworthy his first Premier League break. Uh, he was released after Gillingham's relegation from the Championship in 2004-2005, um, but he was snapped up immediately as a free agent by Premier League Sunderland, who were uh, unfancied that year and somewhat cobbling together a squad. Uh, and it started badly. According to Sunderland blog A Love Supreme, his first game in red and white came against Charlton and it didn't go to plan. Nosworthy's first action was to let the ball roll under his foot and out for a throw-in. And then after a series of errors in the first games of the season, it seemed we signed a player who, despite giving 110%, shouldn't have been anywhere near the Premier League. And indeed, that proved to be true. It was back-to-back relegations for Nyron. The Black Cats falling foul to relegation, managing just 15 points all season. That's the second worst ever points total. But Nyron did improve. Uh, he became a regular in Sunderland's side, his robust displays earning him plaudits. In 06-07, he won Players' Player of the Year. In 06-07, he won Sunderland's Player of the Year and Sunderland went back up. Um, and by this point, Nosworthy was a cult hero. He earned a chant, I don't know whether you remember this one, Arthur, uh, to the tune of Amy Winehouse Rehab. So uh, here's the man himself chanting it with the Sunderland fans. They try to get the ball past Nyron. They try to get the ball past Nyron. He he was a brick wall and loved by the fans. Um, But unfortunately, Steve Bruce didn't love Nyron quite so much. Uh, He arrived at Sunderland and instead chose to loan the big man to Sheffield United. Uh, at this point, Noseworthy, nose well, that's appropriate, actually. <laughs> Noseworthy's career nosedived. Um, he, <laughs> I was looking at Twitter opinions and it sounds like he was an absolute donkey for the Blades. Uh, clumsy, slow, error prone. They absolutely couldn't stand him. Uh, it, it culminated in Sheffield United's relegation from the championship in 2011. Uh, so that was relegation number three for Nosworthy. And then via Watford and Bristol City, uh, he would taste relegation again in 2015 with Blackpool and for a final time uh, in his final professional season with Dagenham and Redbridge. 
this time dropping out of the Football League completely. Um, so a bit of a sour taste at the end of Nyron's career. He certainly was relegation fodder, um, but but actually a really popular guy. So, so likeable, despite looking at him on the team sheet and fearing the worst. Isn't he related to Ethan Pinnock? I don't know about that. I mean, they're both Jamaican internationals. It's plausible. I think he's like, I, I have a, yeah, I think, yeah, here we go. He's cousin of Ethan Pinnock. Oh, um, okay. Good knowledge. A bit of a non-league, because obviously Ethan Pinnock rose to uh, to um, prominence when he was at Dulwich Hamlet. So yeah. potentially we had a bit of a Niren versus, <laughs> a Niren versus Ethan in non-league. That would have been a, actually, sorry, he he took daggers down to non-league. Yeah, I think oh, that's where he started at Gillingham. So always hovering up above uh, yeah. at the level above Ethan. That must have driven Ethan on to uh, to play in the Premier League with Brentford, I have to say. That's a great pub quiz question for those that yeah. are into that kind of thing. Who is Ethan Pinnock's cousin? Exactly. It's Naira Nosworthy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I um, I love the pictures of Sunderland's promotion back to the Premier League with um, Nosworthy dancing around in this bizarre beige leather trilby, by the way. Um, really great pictures, worth worth looking up. Bit of a legend. Um, and, and, and I think a lot of the Sunderland fans talk about him fondly anyway. There was this message on a Sunderland message board. A man who claims to have gone to primary school with Nyron Nosworthy said, Nyron Nosworthy was in my class at primary school. The guy was a beast even back then. I remember we went on a school trip to Gaveston Hall and there was an adder in the grass. Everyone was shitting themselves and he just casually picks it up and whacks it into a tree and kills it. <laughs> Classic Naira Nosworthy. That is phenomenal. Bloody wow. hell. A brute at centre-back and Arthur, who's alongside him. So I had a, a choice between the Caldwells. Ooh. Um, yeah. Stephen I mean, so, and, um, I can't remember the other guy's first name. Manages Exeter, doesn't he? Yeah, he manages Exeter now. Yeah. Um, and I had a choice between, well, in fact, I have chosen the one with 15 Scotland caps to his brother's 55. Steve. Uh, he's one year older. He's one inch taller. He's John Herdman's assistant. Or Sorry, he was John Herdman's assistant, which is a role that's now sullied by Phil Neville um, as Canada boss. And brother was manager in the Football League. Most importantly, he's got three relegations to his brother's Ooh, two. Okay. And it's Stephen. Yeah. Stephen. Um, so good old um... Stephen. Again, I kind of remember Birmingham. Uh, no. Really? But he did play for Birmingham. Yeah. But they didn't go down while he was didn't there. They didn't go down with Birmingham. And actually, the, the Caldwells combined at Birmingham. They were both there. Yeah. And they played together in the centre of defence three times. But no, no were relegation. Were they brothers so, then? Yeah, they were brothers, yeah. I don't think I knew that. Well, you just thought... They were both called Caldwell. They looked quite similar. Yeah, they were both I didn't. No. I'm not sure I actually realised that. Oh. No. It's like, um, who were those two that we discussed on a previous podcast that were not brothers? Darren Bent and Marcus Bent. Get all the Bent brothers. They're, they're not, not brothers. brothers. No. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. They both started off at Newcastle, which potentially would have been a clue for you had you known that. They both appeared fleetingly. Um, and were very frustrated at the lack of game time. Stephen left out on loan a few times, and he would experience his first relegation uh, in 2004 with Leeds. Um, 
this is an outfit that I think you've spoken about before, possibly considered the best team to have been relegated. They had players like Alan Smith, Mark Bajuka, mm. um, some absolute quality names in there. And they couldn't avoid relegation with Stephen on loan, um, potentially <laughs> dragging them down. I don't know whether he contributed much. I think he only played about 15 times. But um, no, I, I mean, it was a club in disarray, really, at the time. He was only on loan. Um, so can you really count it as a proper relegation? Potentially not. So let's let's move him to his first permanent club other than Newcastle. And that was Sunderland. He would join Nyron Nosworthy in that 2006 terrible defence um, that led Sunderland to the championship. They were just hideous that season. And, um, and rightfully, he gets his second relegation just two years later. Uh, so he's already got to 2006, 2004. Credit where credit's due. And I think you gave a bit of it there. When they won promotion straight up again to the Premier League. They had done so twice in three years as champions from the championship. So they were clearly a cut above the championship. Yeah. They were just a cut below the Premier League. Mm. Um, and Gary really exemplified that, I'd say. Burnley was the club that followed. He'd spent three seasons trying once again to reach the promised land. Having finally achieved this in 2009, uh, a groin injury struck when he least wanted it to. Um, you know, that pesky groin injury that kept him out for, I think, until October. Uh, and so finally, his chance to take on Championship book, um, Premier League football again was pretty much going to be lost. And he joined a Burnley side who were already struggling deeply. Uh, but he played his part in 13 games as Burnley were relegated. That's his third relegation. And again, Burnley, a club that were battling relegation for so long, uh, and Stephen couldn't couldn't stop them going straight back down. Stephen was a sucker for punishment. Therefore, he decided to join Wigan after his contract had, had expired. Wigan were again a team that were battling relegation every season under Roberto Martinez. And it's actually a happy story. He teamed up that season with Gary. I was incorrect. It wasn't Birmingham. It was Wigan where they played together. Um, and they managed to avoid relegation finishing in 16th place, having won their last two games. Mm. So essentially, this was a relegation battling performance through and through. Uh, stints would follow at Birmingham and in Toronto, but Stephen would have the last laugh between the two. He retired four months after his younger brother, Gary, which is a huge accolade for Stephen and, and one he surely <laughs> uh, surely liked to bring up at Christmas dinners uh, in, in future years. What a career for the big man. Yeah, great pick, Arthur. Definitely feels like fodder to me. Um, I'm very impressed with Stephen Caldwell's website, by the way. Um, he has a kind of personal website dedicated to his career. Um, it all looks very glitzy. I, I, the blog needs a little bit of work. Um, so far, he's written two articles. The first one was uh, World Cup Fever, which was written on the eve of the 2018 World Cup. And the second article was reflecting on the greatest World Cup of our generation, written the day after the 2018 World Cup. And that's <laughs> that's the extent of the blog so far. So I think it needs a little bit of work there. But actually, it's, it's a very impressive website. And he looks very smart in his, his tie. I like it. Do you think that's all part of the uh, footballer deciding what they want to do after, after their career so. is done? And he's like, you know, I'm going to be a blogger. I'm going to be a blogger. I, I think uh, the PR agency uh, have, have told him, yeah, you, you really need a website. 
just didn't get enough views. You need to you need to buy stephencaldwell.com before it's too late. <laughs> and at right back, um, another player worthy of this 11, it's Mark Edworthy. Yes. So Mark Edworthy is a player I don't know a lot about. Mm. His name kept on appearing when I would click on like a, a relegated team's yeah. Wikipedia page. His name would just always be there. Always You're so right, it. Arthur. And I think actually one of the reasons you probably don't know much about him is that he was one of those kind of classic, reliable, dependable fullbacks that was just kind of there, putting in a 7 out of 10 every week. I don't want to be harsh on him, but... Um, yeah, he was just a very kind of middle of the road Premier League fullback that unfortunately became embroiled in four Premier League relegations. Um, Crystal Palace in 1998, then Coventry in 2001, Leicester in 2004 and Derby in 2008. So four different teams, which I thought was particularly impressive. Uh, he started his career as a right winger playing for Biddeford Blues and his school, Biddeford College, um, so very modest roots. Uh, and when he was 15, he was spotted playing for Appledore in the Southwestern League by Plymouth Argyle. Um, as he progressed through the Argyle youth teams, he was converted to a fullback. At that time, Arthur, he had the most impressive mono brow. It really is quite something to behold. Um, but soon after breaking into the first team at Plymouth, uh, the team were, you guessed it, uh, relegated. Uh, so that was actually a fifth relegation for Mark Edworthy. Um, and that set him up for his Hall of Premier League relegations, I guess. I could obviously pick out Edworthy's Derby uh, spell where they managed the worst effort in Premier League history. Um, but I feel like we've talked about that a fair bit. So I'm going to focus more on Coventry's relegation in 2000, 2001. And this was a case of it had been coming for the Sky Blues. Um, They'd been in the top flight for 34 years at that stage. Um, Really sort of easy to forget that prior to the playoff final this year, Coventry were a very established Premier League team. Um, They had no fewer than 10 close shaves with relegation, though, before ultimately their time came at the start of the new millennium. They would stay in the relegation zone from January 2001 onwards, eventually languishing in 19th come the end of the season. Uh, And it was the first time they'd suffered relegation since 1958. Edworthy would play 24 times in the league that season in a defence alongside Gary Breen, Richard Shaw and Paul Telfer. I'm reading them out because that literally could be the relegation fodder defence on another day, Mm -hmm. I feel. I could vouch for Paul Telfer. I really yeah. can. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I, I just found, feel like Edworthy ended up in quite average sides. Um, it could have turned out so differently for him. But given that he came from Biddeford Blues, I would <laughs> suggest he'll be pretty happy with his um, Premier League hall and appearances, even though many of them did end in relegation. Goes Hassan Camera. Rocky's cross is good and Caldwell with a header. Stephen Caldwell puts Toronto FC in front with his first goal for the club. So, why relegation fodder in our 49th episode of the 11? Well, um, as you probably know if you've listened to us before, Arthur and I support Southampton and Reading, respectively, two teams 
that have fallen foul of relegation themselves this year. Um, so we felt like this ep- episode might be a bit cathartic um, and just a break off from our team. Do hear us out as we kind of share our burden over the past year uh, and reflect on perhaps why our teams have been relegated. Um, we might discover what the hallmarks of a relegation side are in that way. Arthur, firstly, I'm I'm truly sorry that you are now in the second tier again. And I am truly sorry that you are now in the third tier for the first time in a long time. Yeah, it's about 20 odd years. Right. Well, we've experienced it more recently than that. So, um, yeah. yeah, not ideal. Uh, I think to spare our listeners and stop us feeling way too sorry for ourselves, I think we need to impose some quite strict regulations here. I'm proposing that we each ask each other a few questions and our responses are limited to 10 words only. <laughs> hey. <laughs> you have to think quite carefully about this because there's yeah. honestly so much there that I can talk about. about. Why we've got relegated, why it's the mm. end of the world, why we're really annoyed about it and, and everything. But this is catharsis, Ben. This is how it works, okay? I feel like you're this allowed, is You're of... allowed to let a little bit of that out of yourself. You're it's not like some to. sort of EFL restriction being imposed on Reading again. Well, we, we I mean, that's quite, quite topical. Loss. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a, a good deal. Um, okay. I, I'm going to start by asking you a question because I, I feel like one of the hallmarks of our relegation is around financial mismanagement. But I understand that Southampton are in quite a healthy position financially. It just feels like in the transfer market, they maybe haven't invested as wisely as they could have done. What's your reflections on spending this season? (laughs) (laughs) Rude financial health. Signed (laughs) too many youngsters seeking Profit only. I mean, you did that so well that I don't know how I'm going to match that. <laughs> um, that makes yeah. sense, my response? Yeah, I think it did. I think it did. Because I, I think yeah. that was my reflection when I saw who you'd signed. I kind of thought, like, this is very brave. Um, yeah. You know, Romeo Lavia, definitely a good player, but is he going to keep you up? I don't know. That, so, yeah, I guess we know now. I would love to expand, but I'm unable to. So there we go. Ben, for you, tell me a little bit more about the crippling financial sanctions that you found yourself under this season. But only 10 words worth. Okay. Chronic financial mismanagement over years. EFL embargo, points deduction. Shit. (laughs) Uh, I think that's pretty much my emotion, yeah. actually. About I mean, I must thing. say, harking back to last summer, hmm. you and I did have a conversation uh, that hinged around this point. You said that you thought it was highly likely that you would be sanctioned again by the EFL. Yeah. Hence, I, taking into account your guidance, did uh, did try to beat the bookies and put a bet on getting relegated, as you know. Mm. And so um, I did I did profit marginally from your relegation. <laughs> so the least I can do, Ben, is take you out for a nice celebratory or commiseratory oh. lunch. Um, yes. So we'll arrange that at some point soon. Great. Um, but yeah, it does seem 
uh, from discussions with you, and we won't bore the listeners with the depth of this, but those sanctions did seem a little unfair at times. But then as the season, well, you you felt outraged when it first was imposed, but then a little after that, upon some further consideration, it did appear that Reading had actually been a little bit a little bit irresponsible in mm. the uh, in the old financial uh, stakes. So um, this format is fantastic in that I can only use ten yeah. words, but you can describe in depth what's happened at, at my football club. Um, we'll this is that. this we'll is really good. Yeah. Um, any further questions? Yeah, me? I do want to ask you another question, actually, Arthur. I want to ask you a bit about the managerial merry-go-round. Because obviously Hassan Hootel, in the eyes of many Southampton fans, needed to go. Um, it wasn't working tactically. But the next two appointments, i.e. Nathan Jones and Sellers, went spectacularly badly. So your reflection on that in 10 words would be great. Nathan, wrong replacement. Sellers, also crap. <laughs> We needed Sean Deitch. Oh, I like what you did there. That was very clever. Very clever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been the most glamorous appointment, but it, yeah, it certainly wasn't right Probably appointing the guy who was assistant manager to the two who'd failed that season. Mm. But yeah. what can you do? Uh, ben, I'm keen to know if there are any bright spots on this season. Can you Can you describe to me whether there were any any star performers, any reasons mm. for hope that you can take going into next season? Ah, okay. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> already going to be one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, some standouts. Tom Ince. Who's now left. <laughs> leaving. <laughs> But too much Deadwood still. Oh, I like what you've done there using Deadwood as one word. That's yeah. very clever. Very clever. Nice. Okay. Yeah, hyphenated. I hope I hope you can get rid of some of the Deadwood this summer. I know that I think Mate is gonna stay and I think he's quite good. So um we won't I don't wanna I don't wanna open that can of worms because we could get a few more words uh, from you there, but you know, we will see. Lucas Zhao. He's probably going to hopefully go. He's on a lot of wages. So Andy Carroll apparently going to stay, which is a nice bright point that I I thought you would mention, but no. And now um, you've used a ten, so no more yeah, no more from you. Can't go back. Right, a, a final question, Arthur. What I don't know why I was trying to ask the question in ten. There. Um, <laughs> what What are your thoughts about next season? Manager, vital. Clear Deadwood, sign experience to work with youngsters. Interesting. And and you, Ben, do you think you're going straight back up? No. <laughs> I, I think mine would be very similar. Ma- manager vital. Identity with fans required hard working committed signings required oh was that the required at the end was that the 11th word i think that was 10 
because hard working i've hyphened again oh you've done another hyphen yeah, again i've nice. done that again you just, you just hyphen every every, yeah. every word you know, get over 20 this, just like... this bloody efl format that's been imposed <laughs> upon us we just can't get think... away from the sanctions do you know what? I, I i like how you've summed up the hope for the future i i think really it looks like both clubs need to rediscover their identity i think there are certainly reasons to be positive from my perspective at least we you know we do have a lot of money supposedly so we're we've got a good crutch there which reading don't have as as great a crutch but i still think your owners are quite rich for league one um yeah. so fingers crossed that both clubs can rise again and fingers crossed we'll be in different leagues next year again us in the premier league and, and reading in the championship Over the centuries, the world's greatest wordsmiths have crafted the most beautiful sentences ever written. Shakespeare. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Austin. There is no charm equal to tenderness of heart. And Jermaine Pennant. I pulled two birds and I went home, which is nearly a proverb. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Football Book Club, the only book club that's less Jane Austen, more Charlie Austen. And you can listen to us right now by typing Football Book Club wherever you get your podcasts. On the left of midfield, it is a Watford legend from the sort of mid to early noughties. It's Hammer Buatza. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I actually thought Hammer Boatza was quite good, but I think the reason for that is that I remember him kind of right at the beginning of his spell at Watford. And then I don't think I ever heard of him ever again. So I presume he got relegated and then disappeared off the face of the planet. But well, as as a lot of these players did. Yeah. Um, Hammer was a, a tricky Algerian winger who came through the academy at Watford. Um, I think, I don't know why he resonates so much with me. I think it must have been he, he, was, a, he, he was a very good Watford player when I had some kind of game, maybe FIFA or football manager or something. But I... He for some reason Hamowatz is like synonymous with with Watford, that team that 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 incorporated Marlon King, Ashley Young, that kind of period of player. Mm. Um I was very surprised actually to find that um he'd spend the first six years of his career with Watford, um, his form earning him a four million pound move to Fulham. Um I did not know that he played for Fulham at all. He signed under Roy Hodgson. So um Great signing there. But these years in England would include relegations from the Premier League in 2007 with Watford, uh, from the Championship with Charlton in 2009, where he was on loan, and from League One with Swindon, where he was also on loan in 2006. So he got relegated from the top three tiers of English football in his six-year period in England. Um, The Championship relegation... Uh, in 2009 with Charlton was probably the most remarkable having made 27 appearances and scored four goals at Charlton Fulham activated a a recall clause in the loan agreement and immediately loaned him to another championship side Birmingham City for the remainder of the season Birmingham contrary to uh, Charlton would win promotion meaning he was both relegated and promoted from the championship that season. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Absolutely. Good lad, eh? Once he was done in England, he would return um, home. I put in inverted commas because he'd grow up in France, despite the fact that he was a an Algerian international. 
and his first stop was Al Avignon. This was a remarkable story in my mind, having risen from the depths of French football with little financial backing as a little outfit called Al. They obtained four promotions in five years. The last one of those was from Ligue 2, whereupon they were told that they couldn't compete in Ligue 2 because they didn't have a big enough stadium to make it happen. Therefore, they had little Arl had to twin with Avignon, adopting mm-hmm. the name Arl Avignon, and also adopting their stadium, which meant that they could get promoted. Finally, taking their position in, uh, in Ligue 1, they twinned a cast of Hamawatsa with Remy Cabea, Jan Kermagant, wow. Ange- Angelos Karasteas, Angelos Bassinas. They had some serious, serious players. But sadly, they, they, they absolutely plummeted out of the division. They finished with 20 points Ooh. in Ligue 1. For context, if you double the amount of points they had, it wouldn't have kept them in the league. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was it was a shambles. And it all slightly stemmed from the, the manager who'd taken them uh, to four promotions in five seasons was almost instantly discarded after five games in the top league. And so that, if we think about some of the Premier League dismissals and, and ruthlessness um, yeah. uh, attributed to them, that is that is a next step, isn't it? And, um, and sadly, I think about five years later, they were dissolved. It was like Icarus. They flew very, very close to the sun and then they had an absolute, <laughs> absolute shambles of a fall. But I just love that story simply because what they achieved four promotions in five years, and I know we're talking about relegations here, not promotions, but four promotions in five years with almost no financial backing. It was simply because of the genius on the pitch is absolutely staggering. You see what Wrexham are doing now, but they are financially backed. You see what Gretna did financially backed, all sorts of these stories where there's a rise, but it's inevitably linked with finance. And this wasn't. Um, So a short stay at Al Avignon for Hammer, um, but further relegations would follow. Don't you worry. He uh, he went and joined Racing Santander in uh, the Spanish Secunda division, not even La Liga. Uh, and in 2013, he was relegated with them uh, and then back to France, because why not? Um, and he, he experienced two consecutive further relegations oh. from Ligue 2 with Red Star in 2017 and Tour in 2018. Um, so Hammer really was a, a bad luck charm. Um, but I don't think it was really down to his playing ability, which I think was was rather good, actually. He was a, a talented, can we use the word mercurial about Hammer Boatza? Is that, is that a thing? we can, in the context yeah. of the relegation fodder 11. I think I'll allow that. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting to hear. Um, someone who succumbed to relegation a lot. Uh, he actually also had an incredibly short spell. I don't know whether you read this, Arthur, at Sivaspor in Turkey. Yes. Uh, where he lasted just one game before deciding he didn't really like it there. And they had his contract terminated. So, um, yeah, something a bit foddery about that. Very foddery, yeah. We get indecision in a time where your club really needs you. I actually um, did look into that one, and I was disappointed to find Sevaspor didn't get relegated because <sighs> I think I would have. I think I would definitely would have brought that up if if I thought that he turned up at a relegation battle, didn't have the stomach yeah. for it, and left. I can't have another one of them on my CV. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, poor old Hammer. He's into the team. Um, if you're a fond friend who listens 
to our podcast regularly, you'll know that we have an up for grabs position uh, where we get various um, personalities, authors, journalists. Uh, I was going to say musicians, Arthur, but I don't think we've ever had a musician. Maybe we should no. try that one time. Yeah, expand. Do, yeah. do their, get their nomination in song format. That'd yeah, that would be really good. Um, but anyway, they send in their nominations and um, that we think there'll be a poll on Twitter this week because uh, we, we thought Elon had got rid of that stuff, but actually maybe he hasn't. Um, we're going to give it a go. Anyway, we've got some nominations. It's for a centre midfielder. Uh, you'll have to wait for that one till the end of the episode. But for now, Arthur, you have the other centre midfielder. Yes, that nomination will be playing alongside the mighty DDA and Dong. Oh, Didier. Oh, what a guy. I mean, this is breaking with tradition, really, which is that we tend to pick exclusively retired players. And that's because yeah. it obviously ticks the box of uh, of of kind of nostalgia. But I think Sunderland's signing of summer 2016 can stir up a bit of nostalgia in our listeners as well. Um, he was one of a string of terrible David Moyes signings. This one for a record £13.6 million. A huge signing for Sunderland. They put a lot of pressure on his shoulders. He was a powerful centre defensive midfielder, capable of strong tackles, progressing the ball forward. At least that's what they thought they were getting. He featured prominently as the team were relegated from the Premier League. Other than Jermaine Defoe, who plundered a credible 15 goals, they were utterly terrible that season. I think a fact that emphasizes this quite strongly and my apologies in advance to Donald if you are listening is the fact that Donald Love played 16 times that season (laughs) (laughs) wow good old Um, Donald yeah Um, and Don would play uh, the first half of the next season in the championship but he along with the club struggled badly Uh, his last appearance came when he was sent off during a defeat to Cardiff City Shortly after that red card, he moved on loan to Watford. In his absence, Sunderland, of course, would finish bottom of the championship, get relegated again. So that's two relegations on his CV. Not ideal. That spell with Watford on loan was an unrivaled failure. He failed to make a a single appearance, which is pretty awful. Why on earth did they sign him? Uh, They comfortably stayed up. That's probably why they didn't play him. Um, the midfielder was due then to report back to Sunderland for pre-season training ahead of the League One season. But he, along with Papi Gillabodji, who will be a name that, again, listeners will probably remember, he was signed from Chelsea, Papi, they both failed to show up. And then for the months that followed, there were accusations essentially that he was deliberately devaluing himself to engineer a cheaper move elsewhere, No reason was given for his absence. There were pictures uh, on Instagram appearing where he was appearing to sit next to a a poolside at a holiday resort. Sunderland, therefore, quite within their rights, decided to terminate his contract uh, and he was out. Likewise, Papi Jalabodji had his also terminated. I think if you speak to Sunderland fans, they probably remember Papi Jalabodji and DDM Dong in equal measure of hatred because both players came for reasonably high sums of of money Mm -hmm. and both players were essentially released because they broke contract, which is exactly what you don't want, especially after a couple of relegations in the tank. One thing about DDN Dong that I discovered in research is, and and this would be a general point in researching this this, um, 
podcast. If you want to find out players who have been relegated a number of times who weren't in the Premier League for most of that time, it's very difficult to do the research. Yeah. I mean, there are tables on who's been relegated from the Premier League the most. We shall hear about one later. But if you want to search who's been relegated the most in world football, Google, for some reason, I think I need to head to France and and search this because Google's just basically saying, yeah, it's these guys who've been relegated from the Premier League. No, it's not. They've been relegated four or five times. I want I want to find out about people who've been relegated sort of 15 times all around the world. It's very difficult to do that. And actually, I had to dig quite deeply to find what happened to Didier Ndong after he left Sunderland. <laughs> it was quite staggering to find that, I mean, the story really begins in 2017, where he was relegated, of course, with Sunderland, but technically back in his homeland with Lorient, for whom he made two appearances, he was also relegated. So he was relegated twice in 2017. Then, of course, that Sunderland relegation in 2018. After Sunderland, he decided to join Gangon in France. Um, <laughs> no surprise here, along with Papi Gilabogi oh, in Ligue wow. 1. And he was relegated with the club finishing bottom of Ligue 1. 2020 was the blotch on the copybook. Incredibly, he finished 16th position in Ligue 1 with Dijon, seven points clear of relegation. So what a 2020 it was for Didier Dong. And then onwards, Dijon then finish bottom of Ligue 1 in 2021, and he's relegated to Ligue 2. He's not having any of it in Ligue 2. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's not gonna stick around. Why would he? So he joins Yeni Malatya Spore on loan okay. in the Turkish Super League, and finishes bottom and is relegated. Oh my goodness! Uh, he then returns because you know he's decided no, I'm, I'm not above Ligue 2 football. I'll play Ligue 2. Why not? I'll, I'll, I'll prove I'm a cut above. Incredibly. Dijon are relegated from Ligue 2 last season and Dong oh, playing 28 wow. times. So so the guy has been relegated technically, and it's a bit harsh to sully him with Lorient's relegation in 2017, but you know, we are harsh on this podcast. So yeah. we can attribute seven relegations in seven years, the most recent seven years, to Didier <laughs> and Dong. That is staggering. And I think it again, it's like a it's a bit of an attitude problem with Ndong. He was so unpopular at Sunderland. Um, and I, I know with the Gabon national team, he's not popular as well because he's failed to turn up to training and the like. Um, and when you have a player like that in the dressing room, I'm not suggesting he's entirely a bad egg, but certainly at Sunderland, that was the that was the kind of take on him. That is a, a hallmark of relegation fodder for me. Absolutely. And the right of midfield then? Well, we're sticking along that hallmark of bad eggs. It's Charles and Zogbia. God, it's getting, it's getting, uh, <laughs> it's getting bad. It's getting whiffy in here with the bad eggs. It Jesus. really is. <laughs> it really is. Fermentation is beginning. Um, I mean, we're talking about quite a talented player here with Charles and Zogbia, I have to say. Um, but for me, all relegation fodder teams do have that one hothead, big personality, rubs people up the wrong way, uh, does nothing for team chemistry. Uh, and then Zogbia sums that up for me. His CV is a short read, somewhat surprisingly, um, but all teams we associate with Premier League relegation, Newcastle United, with whom he was relegated famously in 08-09, and what shockwaves that caused, Wigan, who we actually avoided relegation with, uh, but they would go down soon after he left, 
Uh, and then Aston Villa, who he was relegated with in 15-16, again, a major disaster for such a big club. And the pattern was a similar one. And Zogbia would join. He'd become a fa- fan favourite for expressive and explosive performances, howitzer goals. Then he'd prove to be a bit of a dick. Fans would lose their patience. He'd get dropped. And then relegation. That was the, the stream of events. And it happened more than once throughout Nzogbia's career. Um, so can I say, therefore, that the, the trigger for them getting relegated would be him getting dropped? So is that not saying, therefore, that he's actually the, the thing that's stopping them getting relegated all these years? You could actually say that, Arthur. That would be an interesting argument. But I think my argument would be that it's his breaking up of team chemistry that has yeah. in no way helped the cause of some of these clubs. I mean, we're talking about Newcastle and Villa, big clubs getting relegated. And a commonality there is unfortunately Charles. Um, at Newcastle, for instance, this was uh, during a time when togetherness was of optimal concern and Nzogbia refused to come on as a substitute in a match against Watford. That led to him being left out of the squad entirely. And despite signing a five-year deal a year previously with Newcastle in the mire, he publicly announced, after four years at Newcastle, I want to reach a higher level of ambition. I don't think that's possible here and then refused to play for the Magpies all the while Joe Kinnear was in charge. Admittedly, that may have been somewhat because Kinnear mispronounced his name, Charles Insomnia, and this drove Insomnia absolutely mad, yeah. (laughs) Wigan was, um, to some extent, an anomaly. Like I say, uh, he actually won Player of the Season awards uh, in 09-10, and he only left the club when offered big money. Although I think we all know what would have happened had he have stayed at Wigan any longer. Um, but the hothead was back to form at Villa, having been largely disappointed um, or out injured. Sorry. But the hothead was back to form at Villa, having been largely disappointing or out injured. And Zogbia received stick from fans on social media and responded by telling one how much he earned over £63,000 a week and taking another who called him a fraud out for lunch to try and make things up. He also told a League Cup winner at Villa, Sean Teal, that he should be polishing his car for him after the ex-Villa man was critical of Nzogbia's floral clothes and lack of concentration on the pitch. And out of interest, this was Shay Gibbons' thoughts on that floral attire that he wore that day. What on earth is Charles Nzogbia wearing today? (laughs) Where do you start, Jack? I don't know. I don't know where they start. I was just saying before, I don't know if they start at the ground and work my way up or start at the top and work my way down. I just, what, is it flower power? I don't know you what. Know, it's, it's, it's a cross crazy. between like curtains from a 200-year-old house to like <laughs> some guy, the SAS man in the desert. I don't, I don't, I don't actually know. I don't know where to go with it. Does he genuinely think that is a, a good thing to He's be seen? He's actually said to me in a couple of years, Shay, you'll come and wear this. Well, I can guarantee that's not... <laughs> right now, that's not happening. He really does have this weird thing with the clobber he wears to training, Charles and Zogbia. Uh, he was uh, photographed by Micah Richards um, in, in one piece, which is just crazy. Um, it, it consists of some sort of Jedi cloak, um, but almost on, ominously dark. And that's been paired with these sort of comfy black trainers. He's like an athletic wizard, Charles and Zogbia. Um, <laughs> but, but very much someone who I think... As much as I respect his footballing ability, had such a tendency to rub people up the wrong way that relegation was often the end result. 
yeah, I think that's an excellent pick. I think it's bizarre that he's only played for that few sides. I mean, in my mind, I do slightly confuse simply because it's an Nz. I slightly confuse him and and Zonzi. Yes, <laughs> understandable. I was like, didn't he play for? St- oh no, that was that was Zonzi. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Zonzi and Zogbia. That would be a great midfield if you combine the two of them. The strike force, and for me. It's consecutive Gabonese players. <laughs> no, it's not Aubameyang. It's Daniel Kuzan. Oh, wow. Yeah, relegation fodder written all over that. Yeah, it was really that Hull City stint, really, wasn't it? Mm. Um, not a not a superb uh, stint for the man. Um, quite staggered in my mind that the 2005 Intertoto Cup winner, Daniel Kuzan, hasn't yet made an eleven. Um, it is weird. It is a bit. What goes, I think, a little bit under the radar with him is that this is a player who has scored relatively freely uh, at various points in his career um, for Le Mans in France, for Lens in France, uh, for whom he scored eight goals in 15 UEFA Cup appearances. Uh, very good haul. Um, both clubs in Ligue 1, um, though ultimately I think it's quite emblematic of a relegation fodder striker that despite their best attempts at goal scoring, uh, they find themselves in terrible teams and they have multiple relegations on their CV. And I, I think there's probably a reason in some cases why they haven't been snapped up and and surrounded by more class players. Potentially they just clubs just see them as synonymous with dragging teams down that last team uh, in particular rocked some serious players they had up front Aruna Dindan, Loic Remy. Wow. Uh, they had Nadir Belhaj bombing down the left. Essentially, I would say, you know, potentially they just had too much attacking talent. I mean, add Daniel Kuzan to that and and potentially they just ne- needed to focus more on their defence. He later looked adept up front for Rangers, though this is where his his hot head temperament really came out. So... I'm excited to uh, to combine Hothead and Zogbier and Hothead Daniel Kuzan. Two headbutts in a matter of days against Fiorentina and then Dundee United displayed his fiery temperament. Later also, um, I guess the flawed genius was displayed uh, in the old firm game, having both scored and been sent off in Rangers' 4-2 win against Celtic, uh, which incidentally was his final game for the club. Ali McCoyce described his performance as as good a centre-forward performance in an old firm game as I've ever seen from anybody. That particular day, he was phenomenal. What more can you say? Yeah, you can't say any fairer than that. Um, uh, I was quite excited about Kuzan coming to the Premier League with Hull, um, but looking back on it, I really don't know why. I mean, they were quite a relegation-y side, that Mm. Hull City team under Phil Brown. He did actually score quite a few when he first arrived. Four goals in his first season. Uh, Not a great haul, but the club did survive. Three of those goals were against Arsenal, Man United and Man City, proving he was a bit of a big game player. Uh, And that first season, they did survive, but it was six wins in the first nine games. And ultimately, I think that's what kept them up. They absolutely collapsed and limped home in 17th. And that was maybe a sign of what was to come. Only one goal in the second season, giving him a total of five and 33 for the Tigers. The second season, I've got a question for you, Ben. 
When Phil Brown was sacked, who replaced him at Hull City? Oh, uh, oh gosh, I I really don't know. Steve Bruce. That's a good. Quite, that's a good guess, Ben. But this is a manager that I did not know managed Hull City at all, and it's maybe because he had half a season, got them relegated. Ian Dowie was oh, Hull wow. City. Manager. Yeah, I'd never have got that. Just that's incredible. Bizarre. So Daniel Kuzan, despite his best efforts at various of these clubs, he just sticks in my mind because it was his only stint in the Premier League as a relegation-y striker. Um, so, and I'm campaigning, by the way, to turn relegation-y into a, into a word. Yeah, um, you do it. Yeah, Daniel, you know, I, I really hope he can, he, can, he can score a few goals for our side here. Um, we're going to need him. I like the pick a lot. He does feel relegation fodder, Arthur. And playing off Kuzan, it's Premier League relegation fodder royalty. It's Nathan Blake. Yes, this this name appeared a lot in my research. I couldn't couldn't escape Nathan uh, alongside Herman Herideson as well. But Herman has appeared in an eleven before, so he's escaped the attentions of the uh, the picking bureau. You're so right. Um, with Herideson, Blake holds the record for the most relegations in Premier League history. Uh, that's five. He was first demoted with Sheffield United in 93-94, then twice at Bolton in 96 and 98, at Blackburn Rovers the following season, and again at Wolves sometime later in 2004. And what an interesting guy. Um, Blake was brought up on a tough estate in Newport, born into a rugby family. His cousins and his uncle were all internationals, Uh, But Nathan chose football and became a prolific marksman. He says that he suffered racist abuse during his time as a trainee at Chelsea, uh, was released ultimately, uh, but got his break closer to home with Cardiff. He became a fan favourite and rose to prominence when he scored a spectacular goal against Manchester City to send them crashing out of the FA Cup. Uh, As well as stints in the Premier League, this acclaim would also lead to 30 Welsh caps He actually holds the record of being the first Welsh player to score an international goal at Wales's Millennium Stadium. Uh, Although, unfortunately, that time it was in his own net. Despite Blake scoring consistently throughout his career, roughly once every three games, uh, he was the poster boy for me of looking forlorn on your haunches, having just found out you're going down. Talking to the Bolton News on this topic, he suggests being a cup half full kind of guy. He said, people are always throwing that relegation thing at me. But honestly, I don't mind. Good, because we've just done it again. Um, Because I'm sitting here talking now, having had the chance to get promoted three times too. I have two promotion medals with Blackburn and Wolves and one winner's medal. That's Bolton. If getting them meant I had to experience a bit of pain along the way, then it was totally worth it. So I think in Blake's eyes, a little bit like some of the other players in this eleven, he's he was just too good for the championship, but not quite good enough for the Premier League. It's frustrating that kind of middle ground because you want to test yourself at the pinnacle of the game, but equally, if that coincides with your team getting relegated every time, then you've really got to ask yourself questions about whether whether it's worth having another crack at it. I wonder whether he had opportunities to to lead the line for a Premier League side and uh, he turned it down because he didn't want a sixth relegation on his CV. Yeah. He was was he prior to Herideson or did Herideson equal him or, or do you know how it worked? Well, I don't know actually. I, I mean, think Herideson feels more current. More sort of, 
I would say Horizon is more recent. I mean, yeah, Blake's fifth was 2004. I feel like Horizon would have been after that. But um, yeah, we might need our listeners to fill us in on that one. Uh, he's just had such an interesting life. I weirdly, um, I always get confused with Quentin Blake, who sort of illustrated the Roald Dahl novels. I don't know why why those two always spring to mind, but I always call him Nathan Blake. But that actually wasn't what Nathan Blake did after retiring from football. Uh, instead, he used his profile positively. Uh, for one, he turned to acting. He won the award for Best Supporting Actor at Film Fest Kimru 2014 for his role in short film The Homing Bird, uh, in which he plays a football coach, as well as uh, presenting a show on BBC Wales called Wales is Black Miners. Uh, and he also became a pioneering voice and change maker regarding racism in football. Um, he graduated from the FA funded corporate governance course on board aimed at getting more ex-professionals and more diverse backgrounds represented on football boards. Um, so, yeah, an interesting and diverse career post football. He's a pundit sometimes as well. Um, generally quite a likable guy, but uh, I don't think even he will dispute the fact that he's fodder alongside Kuzan. <laughs> he seems like an absolute legend. And I think it's uh, it's nice to uh, shine a light on some of the bits about Nathan Blake that, that aren't just relegation centric. You know, he's done some great work in the industry and and, uh, and as a top bloke to boot. So um, good man to, to lead the line alongside Daniel Kuzan. Excited for the goals that they will inevitably produce those two. Right, it's time for Up for Grabs, the part of the show where we ask, as Ben said, friends of the show and, and various others, maybe even enemies of the show. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, as long as they contribute, we're happy. And Andrew Lorne, uh, who's head of copy at Glory Mag, uh, has kindly got in touch with a nomination. He's also a copywriter for Jabra, and he holds a UEFA C license, which is pretty impressive. He's also very excitingly got a new book out. This is We Lose Every Week, The History of Football Chanting. Mm. Uh, it's a phenomenal book and it's available on Ockley Books. So if you want to check that out, we would be most grateful. I'm sure Andrew would too. Uh, so let's see who he's nominated. When thinking of a central midfielder who's got relegation written all over them, I think a list of kind of British diminutive defensive midfielders who are kind of neat and tidy their names cycle through my brain. So people like Gary O'Neill, Harrison Reed, Jack Colback, Lee Catamull, players of a certain type. The one that I went with, though, in the end was Scott Parker for a number of reasons. One being his departure from Charlton kind of spelled the end of their really successful period in the Premier League. It wasn't long until after he left that Alan Kerbishley was sacked and they fell all the way down into League One. He started well at Chelsea he did well at Newcastle, both times he picked up unfortunate injuries. Then he went to West Ham, got relegated with them, went on to eventually wind up at Fulham, where he got relegated again as a player, and he would then take over Fulham as a manager and get relegated again. And at Bournemouth, I think you could make a case that had he stayed this season, they would have been relegated too. So my nomination for central midfielder is Scott Parker. 
or I like Andrew's take, uh, a player and a manager who's been relegated in Scott Parker. That's brilliant. Glory Mag looks so glossy. I, I really do like the sound of that. I might even order one myself. You may well have heard earlier in the show a trailer for another fantastic podcast. This is the Football Book Club podcast. They describe themselves as less Dickens and more Dickov. Uh, And I listened to a fantastic episode of theirs on Darius Vassell's novel, Arthur. Uh, It took me right back to our unfulfilled potential 11. Um, And yeah, they're really funny. They're brilliant. Um, Do check them out. James Bug, one of the presenters, has sent in this nomination. Hello, the 11 podcast. James here from Football Book Club. And I've been asked for some midfield relegation fodder. We had a couple of names pop up in our group chat. Uh, Hayden Mullins, Nigel Quasi. But we've gone from our news book we read with Ivo Graham on the show. Uh, the author of There's Only One, Neil Redfern. That's right. Hayden Mullins, no, nowhere fun. You might remember Neil as a bit of a journeyman midfielder. In fact, he spends a half the book talking about motorways, uh, talking about service stations and how he had a McDonald's gold card, apparently. And as a journeyman midfielder, he holds the honour of being involved in three Premier League relegation scraps for three different clubs in three consecutive seasons, going down in two at Barnsley and Charlton, but surviving, actually, with Bradford, and then he just left. Uh, in fact, I don't know if this applies for anyone else, he was relegated, not just in the Premier League multiple times, he was relegated from every single one of the top four English divisions uh, from the Premier League with the two mentioned, the Championship, or the equivalent with Bolton, League One with Lincoln, and League Two with Halifax. He loves a relegation scrap, more than his dogs, incidentally named after DD and Dexter from Dexter's Lab. He's been there, he's done that, so who better as the midfield general to lead our relegation fodder 11 out of harm's way? If he doesn't, doesn't matter anyway, as he will definitely, definitely leave us for his 800th club next season anyway, so he's not clogging up our wage bill. Plus, always good to have around the place for those motorway anecdotes. Neil Redfern, another that I'm surprised has never been in an 11, um, but perfect for this. Two great nominations. Uh, we're going to be brave. We're going to suggest that Elon hasn't taken down polling. We're going to do it how we always used to, the OG. Uh, and that means us throwing in other nominations. Arthur? For me, it's Carlton Palmer. Uh, I could, couldn't get his name out of my head when I thought yeah. relegation. He's been relegated in 1986 with West Brom, in 1990 with Sheffield Wednesday, 99 with Forest, 2001 with Coventry, and 2002 as player manager with Stockport. Um, so I think, again, he ticks the player manager box. Uh, Scott Parker, of course, was player and then manager. But combining the two, I mean, Carlton blows him out of the water wow. there. Uh, in the dressing room, he was uh, described as abrasive, awkward and argumentative. Uh, but on the pitch, he was determined, hardworking and persistent. And his long legs made him a most difficult player to compete against. That's according to Wikipedia. Um, Love Wiki. Dave Jones said of Palmer when he was at Southampton, he covers every blade of grass out there, but that's only because his first touch is so crap. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember Carlton Palmer sitting up in that bath in the TV ad. I don't remember that. Have you not seen this? I don't think oh so. Oh my goodness. Arthur, I'll send it to you. You've, okay. you've got to see this. It's the most bizarre thing ever. Perhaps you should tweet it so the viewers can also see it and it's not an in-joke. Yeah, I'll do that too, if I remember. Yeah. Carlton is known uh, mostly for being 
an accumulator of England caps that everybody seemingly in this country feels he is not deserving of. So um, <laughs> poor old Carlton. <laughs> Let's see if he can get in the relegation fodder 11 in place of that. I love your thinking. I don't think he will, though. I think it will be Medi Nafty. Medi Nafty? Yeah. A plucky five foot ten Tunisian defensive midfielder, sometimes known as Nasty, because he had a fiery nature and a tendency to get bookings. He was signed by Birmingham in 2005, a replacement for Robbie Savage. Um, not least because in the previous three years at Santander, he'd got 41 yellow cards and three red cards. Um, so in theory, Nafti was perfect for a relegation battle. Um, but that actually didn't prove to be true. Uh, on top of relegation, albeit with subsequent promotion, playing for Toulouse and Santander, Nafti was relegated twice with Birmingham City in 2006 and 2008. Internationally, he was good enough to play in three African Cup of Nations and one World Cup, but domestically, it seemed he was just not quite good enough to hold a place in the Big Five's top flights. So, uh, yeah. You've got Parker, Redfern, Palmer or Nafty to choose from. Well, we're nearing the end. Um, Hopefully you're not glad about that. There are other episodes. I think this is episode 49. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, do check out our back catalogue at 11 pod uh, on Twitter. The word, not the number. If you want to get in touch with us. Um, I don't think anyone ever has, actually, have they? No. I mean, we do. I mean, we're proud of our motto. Yeah. The word, not the number. You know, Tim Nagel, you will be listening, we hope. Um, mm. You're a loyal listener. I, I, he likes the the uh, the phrase, but sadly, it hasn't coaxed interactions out of the woodwork from Twitter. No. Now, Twitter is a big place. Yeah. We know that our podcast might get lost amongst the sea of other podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just know that if you are the listener who listens to this and goes, do you know what? I might send in a name that I've thought of. It would make us very happy. We will. We read every response because <laughs> it takes very little time uh, in our lives. And um, we, we were once liked by Carlos Edwards. Uh, we and we, we had a retweet from Faustino Espria. So, um, yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah, we had a an, an interaction as well with Alexi Lalas. Uh, yes, and that, that was a great moment for us. And um, whenever we have an interaction with a a former football player, the one who has instigated the reaction from said celeb footballer instantly messages the other and goes, yeah. "Look, look what's happened." Yeah, what's <laughs> what, what's sad, sad little lives. Um, yeah, we are sad little lives, Jane. We've, we've got a bit distracted. Um, there are some players on the bench in our relegation fodder 11. Uh, I wanted to put Shelton Martis forward, Arthur. Uh, a little bit more obscure, a Curacao international, um, but the kind of personification of fodder for me. Uh, beefy, firm in the challenge, but incredibly clumsy uh, and went down four times with West Brom, Excelsior, Scunthorpe and Doncaster. What an odd combo. Very odd combo. And we don't have any attacking impetus on the bench at all. So we are relying on Kuzan and Blake for the entirety of the 90. I've just got Mark Bauer on the bench, who's a former Bradford City defender. Um, Joined them on their tumble from the Premier League to League Two, all the way down with them. And then he had consecutive seasons with Luton, who he got relegated to non-league. 
and Darlington, who he got relegated to non-league. So he felt like a very relegation-friendly kind of guy. Um, So I'd like to thank Will Barker, my housemate, for suggesting Mark Bauer. He frankly was outraged that there were no Bradford City players in the starting 11 of this fodder 11. Yeah, um, interesting point. Yeah, thanks, Will. That's brilliant. Shall I run us through the team, Arthur? Yes, please. Okay, so in goal, we've got Colin Doyle at left-back, Paul Robinson. Centre-backs, Nyron Nosworthy and Stephen Coldwell. Right-back, Mark Edworthy. In the midfield, Hammer, Boatza, Didier and Dong. A choice of yours alongside him. And then on the right, Charles and Zogbia. And up front, Daniel Kuzan and Nathan Blake. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. Thanks very much for listening and have a good life. Have a good life, blimey. How final. Mm-hmm.